Welcome to The Nourished Nervous System, an exploration of stress, the nervous system, and transformative self-care practices for parents and other humans through the lenses of Ayurveda, holistic coaching, somatic practices, herbs, and much, much more. I'm the host, Kristen Timchak, a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, herbalist, and mother of a tiny human. Please join me for information, insight, deep thoughts, and small steps to help you nourish your nervous system. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Nourished Nervous System. How are you doing in this second week of January? I hope you're finding moments to pause and listen to your body, And if you listened to my episode a couple weeks ago, Stable Like a Trapeze Artist, I mentioned that I was planning on doing an episode about sugar, but I got sidetracked by other thoughts. So today I'm going to buckle down and do an episode about sugar. Honestly, the idea of this episode came to me because, well, first of all, sugar is one of my big weaknesses. It's also one of my triggers for my autoimmune condition. And December was a challenging month for me and my relationship with sugar. So a little bit about my relationship with sugar. It's been complicated to say the least. In the past, it's been a pretty unhealthy relationship, lots of drama, big breakups, only to come back together more intensely than before. Not a lot of control or discipline, just lots of passion. And over the past number of years, this relationship has progressively changed. It's gotten less intense, less extreme, way more balanced. I no longer have the huge breakups and intense indulgences, and sometimes it feels really easy. I'm able to stay away from it and don't really give it much thought. And those times I think, why does this ever feel hard? And then all of a sudden it does feel hard for whatever reasons, Um, maybe because I start eating it and it makes me crave more, maybe because it's a coping mechanism in stressful times or a reward system that I've set up for myself where the reward only lasts moments and then I don't feel great. Even though my relationship has changed, there's still an imprint there of how I used to relate to sugar. And this past December, I had the awareness of another overlaying kind of specific neural imprint of that time of year. It's definitely harder for me to stay away from sugar between Halloween and New Year's. For one thing, there's just so much sugar around with candy and Thanksgiving pie and my birthday's in early December and then holiday times with all the sweets. But I think it's also because I'm used to eating sugar in that time period. I've done so for a majority of my life. So when thinking about the parts of a habit, there are all these cues this time of year that I associate with eating sugar, which then leads to the routine or behavior, which is the actual habit of eating sugar. And then that leads to the reward, which are those moments of sweet sugar bliss before I don't feel that great. So this is something I've been aware of in the past, but for whatever reasons, it became really evident to me this year. I think because I'm really working on getting my Hashimoto's into remission. So I've been more conscious than usual around my sugar intake. And when I say sugar, I'm mainly talking about processed cane sugar, 
My body does okay with fruit and dates and little bits of honey and maple syrup, but I really notice a difference when I eat cane sugar, especially chocolate, which is such a bummer. And so this December, I noticed the sugar start to creep back in. So sneaky, just a little apple crisp here and a cookie there. And next thing I know, I'm eating peanut butter cups, which I know sounds like not really a big deal and maybe a bit pathetic that this is my struggle, but also addiction is addiction. I know when I'm casually having a treat and it feels nourishing and I'm giving myself sweetness and then that different feeling of feeding the addiction. And sugar is a really tricky addiction because it's socially acceptable and even encouraged. So I thought in order to help me a little and maybe help someone else as well, because I know that I'm not the only person that struggles with sugar, I do a little research and learn more about it because as cliche as it is, knowledge is power. So before I get deeper, here's my disclaimer that this podcast is purely for entertainment and educational purposes and should not be considered health or mental health advice. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. Okay. So I know from an Ayurvedic standpoint that all the tastes are important. The sweet taste is really important. Sweet tasting foods give energy and are building blocks. The sweet taste is comprised of earth and water and it's balancing to vata and pitta, which could be another reason that I may crave it more during that vata season in the fall. It's some sort of natural inclination for balance that kind of gets distorted by processed sugars. The sweet taste is found in sugars like sucrose and glucose, but also in carbohydrates, which break down into glucose. But it can also be found in meats, fats, and milk in varying amounts. The sweet taste is a building taste. It increases kapha, which is why young children who are rapidly growing are drawn to carbs and sweet foods like milk. The sweet taste is also pleasurable. In Ayurvedic thought, the sweet taste can be a carrier for certain types of herbs or Ayurvedic medicines because the body actually relaxes and opens with the sweet taste and that can help bring the medicine deeper into the body. So imagine how you physically feel, energetically feel in your body when eating something sweet as opposed to eating something very bitter. Like the bitter food, I like bitter foods. With the bitter food, I can feel a clenching and a tightening and like a constricting, but with the sweet food, I feel like my body does, it, it opens and it softens. The sweet taste is good for us in moderation and depending on your dosha and your imbalances. If you have a kapha imbalance or if you have ama, which is like a toxic buildup in the body that can dampen your agni or your digestifier, then the sweet taste could be contraindicated for you. And the problem isn't the sweet taste, in itself, it's what we've done to it. When I think about times before grocery stores and heavily processed carbs and sugars, if I think about hunter-gatherer cultures or even maybe early farming culture where people were growing food for their families, but there wasn't stuff being shipped and things coming from all over, there wasn't the access to sugars that we have today. Fruits were harvested during certain times of year. They weren't always available. And other sugars were precious and a special treat. 
There are sweet vegetables and grains and the sweetness that comes from milk or meat. But overall, there wasn't the access to sugars that we have. Sugars are high energy food. Our cells are fueled by glucose, especially our brains, which consume a lot of energy. So our ancestors' brains were wired to find these glucose-rich foods and rewarded with a dopamine hit when eating them. So over time, sugar can have like an addictive sort of effect on the body. There's some controversy in the science world about whether food can actually be addictive or not. I personally think it can, but there is that controversy there. But anyway, there's this addictive effect on the body. So there's a tolerance that gets built up and it takes more of the sugar to get the same reward after time. So our brains evolved in this pleasure-based relationship with sugar. This really served our ancestors for finding those energy-rich foods. And it also explains why there are whole industries today built on sugar. So we need the sweet taste. We need glucose for our cells and our brains. But if we eat too much of it, especially in processed forms, it can be really bad for us. This is not breaking news. We know too much sugar is bad for us. But the other part of this equation is that when we eat a high sugar diet, it can rewire your brain to make it harder to resist cravings for those foods. So in order to resist cravings, there's a network of inhibitory neurons that help to control behavior. And these neurons are concentrated in the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that governs impulse control, decision-making, and delaying gratification. So these inhibitory neurons help to put on the brakes when confronted with cravings and release the chemical GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So that means it blocks or inhibits certain brain signals and decreases activity in your nervous system, which can make you feel less anxious and stressed and more calm. I see GABA a lot in supplements for sleep or stress. There have been some studies, mostly with rats, that show that eating high sugar diets can alter the inhibitory neurons and it can make it more difficult to control behavior and make decisions. I really feel this in my life in relationship to sugar. When I don't eat it for a period of time, it gets easier not to eat it. I stop craving it. But once I start to eat it again, especially the more processed sugars, it becomes way harder to have any discipline around it. The other part of this relationship between sugar and the brain is that excess sugar can affect the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain related to memory. It can slow cognitive function, create problems with attention, and create inflammation in the brain. The good news with this is that studies show that decreasing dietary sugar and increasing omega fatty acids in the diet can actually help to reverse this. The omega fatty acids are really important for nerves and nervous system and can help to protect the brain. So too much sugar can also affect mood. It can compromise emotional processing. It can increase anxiety and create a higher risk for depression. And what's been interesting to me recently is sugar and its relationship to immune function and autoimmune disease. I read some differing thoughts on how excess sugar affects the immune system. I've seen articles saying that it affects white blood cells and can temporarily impair immune function. 
And that sugar can affect the microbiome, which is the home to a large part of the immune system. And this all makes sense to me. And in one study I looked at, it showed that a high sugar diet can reduce the microbial diversity in the gut and also deplete short chain fatty acids, which can in turn affect the intestinal mucosal immune system in the gut. And there are also harmful bacteria in the gut, which can feed off the sugars, create an imbalance in the gut microbiome. I also read an article that said that sugar does not affect the immune system, but high calorie diets do. So there's a lot of information out there and you can take it with a grain of salt, but sugar definitely has a relationship with inflammation in the body. And there are some studies out that show that high sugar diets can contribute to autoimmune conditions. And this makes sense to me. As I've started to feel better in my body, I have been able to notice the foods that really trigger me. And sugar is definitely one of the big ones. I personally feel that there is a connection between my immune system and sugar. I've been doing pretty well with my immune health this fall. One marker for this is that I haven't been getting sick every time that my son comes home with something sick, which if you have a child that's in preschool, you know that's a lot. And when I went down into my little sugar spiral recently and reached the apex at the peanut butter cup stage, right after that, I got a cold. Like I could feel it coming the second or third day of eating the peanut butter cups. Coincidence? Maybe, but I don't think so. I, I really feel like it's related. My relationship with sugar has definitely improved over the years. And even when I spiral out now, it's not the way that I used to. So I know that improvement is possible. And for me, understanding the evolutionary relationship between sugar and the human brain, the dopamine hits and why I crave sugar is so helpful. It helps me to see the big picture and have some gentleness with myself because it is hard and literally hardwired into my brain to love this stuff. It's also helpful for me to know that eating certain foods like omega-3 fatty acids and exercising can help my brain to generate the inhibitory neurons that can help me resist cravings. Once again, I see this image of creating a net, eating a low sugar diet, eating foods that are healthy and nourishing for my brain, managing stress and therefore stress eating, exercising. And so when I have those times when it's hard to resist, when I go down a little spiral, I can come out of it more and more quickly. I don't want to have to be so strict. I want to be able to enjoy special treats sometimes. But for me, with my specific constitution and what I'm working with to do this, I need to have a solid foundation, that net woven to catch me. Other people have different relationships with sugar. I have friends that could care less about sugar, and I have friends that love sugar, but it doesn't affect their body in the same way that it affects mine. And I know other folks have a way stricter relationship with sugar than I do. We're all on a unique journey with these bodies, and I think, as I say over and over again, one of the best things you can do is really just start to tune into your body and listen and, and notice So I mentioned before that my relationship with sugar has improved over the years. And I want to say, though, that at certain times in my past, it was really bad. I had a lot of shame around it. I had a sense of hiding it because I knew I was out of balance. 
And something that's been so helpful for me has been to have a couple close and trusted friends who also have experienced that and that I can talk about it with them. And to be able to reach out when I'm struggling and just be seen and heard is so powerful. I mean, the fact that I can even talk about this here with you who I may or may not know speaks to the same amount of progress that I've made. There's nothing that dispels that shame more than sharing it without judgment with a trusted friend. And it's deeply healing. Recently, I was talking to a friend who also has dealt with Hashimoto's about sugar. And she mentioned something that an Ayurvedic practitioner that she had worked with years before had said about it. And it was to look for other sweetness in life, the sweetness of friendships and affection, a good hug or cuddle, the connection with an animal friend. And I love this perspective that our craving for sweetness can also be fulfilled in other ways and that we don't have to do it all by ourselves. That connecting with others, sharing love, having a good laugh or good cry with someone you trust to create more sweetness in your life can help fulfill that craving. And that actually feels like a good place to end for me. We got some science. We got some love. The scales are balanced. Well, my friend, if you are one of those people that struggles in your relationship with sugar, just know that you're not alone. And know that with some effort and consistency, you can work on that relationship. It takes time. It takes practice. And but things can shift. For your small step this week, maybe just take stock of your own relationship with sugar. How do you feel directly after eating sugar and how do you feel the next day? If you do struggle with sugar and you know this, can you brainstorm some other source of sweetness in your life? Okay, friend, that's all I've got for today. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are finding some sweet moments in your, in your days and just know that I really appreciate you. I'm really grateful that you're here. Have a great week. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. I'm feeling slightly less awkward, but this podcast thing is still a big learning curve. So I appreciate you staying tuned as I learn. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. It helps me get seen by people besides my friends. And if you are not enjoying the podcast, I hope you're not still listening because life is way too short to listen to podcasts you don't like.